Thank you for listening to this podcast from Renew San Diego, a church for the good of all our neighbors in North Park, San Diego. If you're ever in the area on Sunday mornings, we'd love to welcome you. More information at renewsandiego.org. Share with a friend. See you soon. shutting up John in prison. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please take a moment for silent reflection. Let us pray. Gracious God, in this moment of silent reflection, we pray that you would give us ears to hear your voice. Some of us long to hear that voice because we realize in our pursuit of so many different goals, hopes, aspirations, and dreams, we've become exhausted. Some of us have been climbing the ladder of life, that ladder of progress, only to realize it's been leaning against the the wrong wall the whole time, and we're confused. Some of us wonder if you even exist, or if you do, if you're good enough to pay attention to us, to really care and speak to us. We approach this moment from a variety of perspectives and experiences. But however we find ourselves, help us to see that you know us 
in all our complexity and contradictions, in all our striving and our victory, in all our loss and pain. And your response is to move toward us in sacrificial, self-giving love. And so we pray now by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would teach us in a way that our lives would be transformed. That you would send us out to be your very hands and feet of renewal wherever we go. We pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, before we get into it, piece of housekeeping. I'm hearing that, and I assume you're hearing that too. You will not hear everything I say if all you hear is that. Should we fix it this way, or do you want to bring me a handheld microphone? It is ringing. I almost sound uh, like Neo in the Matrix when he comes through, you know. Oh, that's better. What a difference a knob makes. Thank you for turning that knob. Awesome. Good. Now we're on. So I never thought I was going to be a pastor. When I, candidly, when I was in high school, I thought I was going to be a drug dealer in Mission Beach. I was already well on my way. <laughs> By the time I was an undergrad in college, I was poised to be a sports agent in L.A., um, which also has a certain amount of hustle to it. I think it just has a little more exposure and maybe some more money to it. And I was going to get my law degree and my master's in business, and off I would go. And Long story short, God got a hold of me in college, and, you know, if you're a sports agent, that's great if that's your calling. I just discovered this was mine. So to be a pastor does not mean that I'm closer to God than any of you, that I have a direct line to God that you don't have, that I'm holier than you. It means that this is my calling just as you have your particular calling as well. And I love my calling because no two days are ever the same. And I get to be around people when they're making some of the biggest decisions of their life regarding their, their family or their, their marriage or their career. I'm often there when people are born and I'm there when people die. But I love it the most. Well, I don't know the most. One of the best is when those surprises come up. And I had one of those surprises this last Friday. I just came by here to put up a couple more flyers for the Know Your Neighbor gathering to share with everybody, and I ran into my friend Rick outside, and by the way, Rick said I could share this story. And I saw Rick sitting there, and he goes, hey, now Rick's a friend who's been on the streets for 14 years, and he goes, hey, Pastor Matt, I got my spot, I got my housing. I said, that's amazing. How long have you had it? How long have you lived there? He's like, I haven't stayed there yet. All I need to do is go down and get the keys. I said, well, let's go right now. And you could see him, internal struggle, because all he has known is 14 years of the street. It was like that scene at the end of Shawshank Redemption, if you remember that, where you become institutionalized. You get so used to the thing that you're trapped in, you don't know what it's like to be free. And I saw the wrestle. He almost shifted back and forth. You could see the two streams of thought going through his mind. And he goes, all right, F it, let's go. He didn't say F it, though. And so I had the pleasure of driving him down, meeting the manager, getting his keys. We'll put a photo. He said we could put a photo on Instagram this week of Rick with his first set of house keys in 14 years, sitting on a bed with a comforter on it for the first time in 14 years. And I asked him as we were driving, I said, what are you going to do now that you don't have to spend so much time and energy surviving? How are you going to use that time to work on thriving? And it was a question he had never considered. He went from being unhoused 
to housed, from being exposed to being sheltered, from being vulnerable to being secure, and there's an entirely new identity that took place for Rick. Now, this, we're on day three of a long story. I'm sure there will be ups and downs, just like life. But there is an entirely new chapter of that man's life. There's a new identity that comes with it, a new dignity that comes with it. And today, we read about Jesus' baptism. Today's actually the feast of Jesus' baptism. We fast forward pretty quickly from what's called the infancy narratives, the story of the shepherds going to see baby Jesus and the magi going to see baby Jesus. And now all of a sudden, Jesus is a grown-up, and he's baptized. But baptism at, at its core comes down to identity. Who are you? That's one of the most piercing questions someone who loves you and knows you could ever ask you. Who are you? How do you answer that question? To the clothes you put on, or the way you present yourself, or the resume you have on LinkedIn, or the amount of money that you have in your bank account, or the partner or spouse that you have on your arm, or the kids that you have in your home, is that the primary indicator of who you are? None of those things are bad things. They're all gifts. But they make poor indicators of your identity. And God comes to you and says, I see you and I know you and I love you and I call you my own. An identity that can never be taken away, no matter what. So maybe the big meditation question is, what if you received that as the truest indicator of who you are? A new stability altogether. A new confidence that it is not wavering when you do bad, you feel bad about yourself. When you do well, you feel better about yourself. When someone, does, when someone else messes up, you kind of micro-celebrate quietly because you don't want to look like a jerk, but you know it makes you look a little better. Instead, you know you are beloved no matter what. So now you can strive not to earn your acceptance, but because you're already accepted. Let's take a look this morning at the people's expectations of a Messiah, at the deeper invitation he gives you, and the new direction that causes, okay? The expectations, the invitation, and the new direction. First, people's expectations of the Messiah. It says in verse 13, as people were filled with expectations, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John. This is John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, the front runner to Jesus, saying, behold, one is coming after me. Pay attention. Wake up. They were wondering whether John might be the Messiah. Now that word Messiah, if you double click on it, I mean pages unfold of what it meant for this early audience. The word Messiah, any of the old prophetic foretelling of God's renewal and redemption, when the people of Israel were in exile in Babylon, when the people in Israel were at each other's throats, they were all, there was always this longing, this waiting for Yahweh, the invisible, immortal creator God, to actually get involved himself. And Messiah was the word assigned to the one who would be with God 
and would be God, to make all things new. So they're longing, they're expecting. And John the Baptist comes on the scene. He must have preached a great sermon. He stood out in the crowd. He's drawing people to himself, and, they're say, and he's talking about justice, right? And not just justice like, I don't like what you did, so you're wrong and I'm right, but justice in the cosmic, divine sense, where putting things to rights. See, you do justice whenever you use a Google document. How do you justify it? Left, right, or center? Do you want your document justified? It just means lining things up the way they should be. And so when you say the world's not right, or my life is a mess, you actually want God's justice to make it right. <laughs> and John's talking about that. They go, maybe he's the Messiah. Here's the point. They're longing for a Messiah. And I would make the case, so do you, and so do I. No matter how you find yourself, however you describe yourself religiously or spiritually, we're all looking for a savior. Now, you would not use those words, that's fine, but follow me here. What do all the Marvel movies, the action movies, the, the hero movies, what do the, the Marvel movies, the Star Wars movies, the Born Identity, Mission Impossible, Wonder Woman, Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings have in common? They all have a hero. And here's the point. We eat it up. We devour it. We watch it again. Tell me the story again. There's something in the human heart that celebrates when the world goes from chaos to beauty through an unlikely hero. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus' baptism and the Gospels are just one more story among a lot of other myths. But I am saying there's something in the human heart that wants it. And so we go and pursue a hero or a savior or a messiah in so many different places. Constantly pulling out the iPhone and checking the stocks or the cryptocurrency update. Is it up or is it down? Is it good news or is it bad? Constantly putting demands on other people, whether our friends or our partner, that they need to meet our every need. And they can't because they're fallible just like you and just like me. It's an unfair demand. We look to our career, and we'll get to that a little bit later. We look to a political figure, whoever it might be. Take your pick, right, left, or in the center. And we say, if our man or our woman is actually in that seat, then things will be well. The question is, are you aware of that complex that drives your life? Now, it's not bad to cheer for a political figure, to seek after justice and righteousness in society. In a democracy, it's actually your duty, if you're able to vote, to vote intelligently. It's not bad to strive and to want a great career, or to be connected to your spouse, or even to be financially wealthy. These are not bad things in and of themselves, but warning, they all make a poor Messiah. And then here comes Jesus. John says, it's not me, it's Jesus, the one to come after me. And we learn three things about him. First of all, he is royally higher than you could ever imagine. John says, I'm not even worthy to untie the thong of his sandal, which we're like, that's kind of weird. What does that even mean? What everyone knew what that meant. A wealthy landowner who had servants would have one of them who had actually the worst job. And it was to untie the sandals of their, of their lord. 
Think of what they walked through all day. Think about the fact there was no running water, there was no hand sanitizer, there was no antibacterial soap. It was nasty business. And John's saying, you think I'm up there. He's so high up there, I'm not even worthy to do that. I would pay money to do that. I'm not even worthy to get close to him. So on one hand, he's higher than you could ever imagine. And at the same time, he says, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. In his royal highness, he stoops down to come closer to you than the air you breathe. This imagery of baptism, the Greek word for baptize, which you're probably imagining someone being dunked in water, having water sprinkled over their head. The ancient word baptizo from Greek simply means to dip or to immerse. This isn't a new word that the church invented. This is actually a word that people in the textile industry would have used to describe what happens when you take a piece of cloth and you baptize it in a dye, a colored dye, and it comes out as an entirely different cloth altogether. And they're saying, he will come and make a transformation in your life that is so profound, it actually re-identifies you. But it's not merely an external baptism. He alludes to the the Holy Spirit and fire, which is the picture we get at Pentecost. We'll talk about that later. So this royal highness doesn't come down on you. He comes through you, to you, invites you to himself. You know what that means? It means that you don't find God. Maybe you're here at church today because you think you might find God, and that's awesome. I congratulate that, and I welcome that, and we do every Sunday. But I have better news for you. God has already found you. The hardest thing for you to do, and me to do, is to accept it, to receive it, to walk in it. What would it look like for you to simply take a step today and say, I accept that you've been looking for me, and I turn my life over to you, and I don't even know what that looks like, but I'm beginning to trust you in Jesus' name. And then we'll come back and we'll do it again next week. And we'll do it the week after that. And we'll do it together. And we'll see where this adventure goes. But the third thing that John says is he is the ultimate judge. And this is where that kind of weird, off-putting part that I wish wasn't in the Bible. Did you know there's parts of the Bible that your pastor wishes weren't in there? If you're paying attention, you feel the same way. Let's just talk about it. And there's that part in verse 17 where he says, so he's higher than ever. He comes to you with love to baptize you in the spirit and fire. And, verse 17, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor, to gather the wheat into his granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Thanks a lot, John the Baptist. These are not words that you say if you're trying to build a movement and gather followers. But here's what he's saying. He's also a judge. He is the ultimate authority and the ultimate judge. Now, note, it says that God alone is the judge, which means that you don't have to be. I already mentioned what it looks like for God's judgment to come, to bring justification to this world, where things have gone off the rails and off the tracks to actually be gathered back together in health. You want a doctor who can judge your health accurately. You don't want a doctor to look at all the symptoms and all the unhealth and go, you know what? I see all this, but you're generally a pretty good person, so just keep doing what you're doing. No, you want them to judge it and say, it's this, I know it's this, and here's what we're going to do about it. 
I'd make the case you do not want a God who looks at the pain of this world, at genocide, at child slavery, at extreme injustices, and does nothing about it? You don't want a God like that, and neither do I. He says God is actually paying attention. And as a parent cares when their child is wronged, God looks at all of it and says, it's all mine, and I care about all of it. And one day, he will put it all to rights. And note, God's justice is ultimately displayed not with riches and royalty or violence and vengeance or crushing and coercion. God's ultimate justice is displayed where love and justice meet on the cross. Where he takes all the brokenness of this world, all the pain and sorrow, the things that you have done to others, the things that have been done to you, even the things you've done to yourself. The injustice that we've experienced or participated in individually, the injustice that we've done socially or even globally, and he lets it all crash upon his shoulders on the cross. God who does something about it. You know what this does? This means that a Christian is someone who can work for justice now. There is work to do and you don't have to be the ultimate judge. It gives you hope when things don't change as quickly as you want them to change. And it takes the knife of retaliation out of your hand. They say, ancient, ancient uh, war books say, when you go for vengeance, dig two graves, one for the other person and one for yourself. You see this in the show Yellowstone. If you haven't seen Yellowstone, uh, I, I want to say I highly recommend it, but I can't blanketedly recommend it. I've found it to be an, an amazing story. But there's a, a, one of the people named Casey, the, one of the sons of the great landowner, played by Ke Kevin Costner, plays the great landowner. And one of the things that Casey does best is he assassinates people. He was in the special forces. It's what he does. Now he's back on his dad's ranch. And when things go wrong for the ranch, it's Casey's job to go and be the judge. And you see it dehumanize him and erode him. You know this in the grudges that you hold. How do I know that? Because I experienced the same thing. I'll tell you a little side story, not in the notes. We have a contractor who did a tremendous work on our house. And I have found two or three major acts of negligence. And I'm not talking it was just $100 or even just $1,000. Major acts of negligence. I've tried to get a hold of this person for 10 months. I mean, I've... I've done everything. I've had to come to a point where I realized I can kind of do three things. One, I'll just, spoiler alert, I would never do this. I could go to his house and just be the biggest jerk ever. Two, I could get a lawyer and sue him and just be, your pastor would be in some sort of a lawsuit for years. Or three, I can say I've worked for every piece of justice I could here and I don't think I'm going to get it on this side. And so I, while I do pray for his best, I also pray that he gets what he has coming for him. That's just how I pray, I'm sorry. And then I pray for his best again. But you know what that means? Because I find myself, like, I could be driving on a beautiful, sunny afternoon, and the thought of the way that our dryer vents out into the wall and how it's not done right and how he's not, 
And that gets in my mind, and now I'm so mad I can't even enjoy the sunny day. And look, he's not even thinking about me. And he's living rent-free in my mind all day. So when you see a God who is a judge, it not only gives you hope, but it means you can let go of the knife of retaliation. Do you see how that sets you free? Our expectations of the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah who comes in the flesh and gives himself to you and is putting the world to rights. Not always in the schedule that we want, but he is doing it. And he gives this deeper invitation. The voice of the Father to Jesus is also the voice of the Father to us. The church for 2,000 years has walked in the truth that as you are baptized as a Christian, you are baptized into Christ's identity. Everything that's true of him is true of you, including the words of God to him, which are the words of God the Father to you. You are my child. With you, I am well pleased. This is striking. Not only because it's the voice that so many of us run around our whole lives trying to hear, but because it comes at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, not at the end. Jesus hears, and a Christian can know that you are beloved before you have produced anything, before you've done anything. There's a huge difference because everyone else says, show me what you've done, and if it's good enough, maybe you're beloved. Show me what you've produced, and if it's good enough, we'll accept you. What car do you drive? Is that a real Louis Vuitton bag? Let me look at it. If you're a good enough parent or athlete or teacher or student, then we'll praise you, welcome you, love you. If you measure up. And I don't have to tell you, that's exhausting. I remember when Lady Gaga was interviewed in the midst of all of her success, and she said, some women choose to follow men, and some women choose to follow their dreams. If you're wondering which way to go, remember that your career will never wake up and tell you that it doesn't love you anymore. Right? Except your career will. I have a friend who works at Google, high up in the executive you know, area, and he goes, I had to come to the realization that if something was to happen to me, they would fill my position within two weeks. What have you done? If it's good enough, we'll love you. If you show up high enough in the stack ranking, then our affection for you will increase as well. Look, I'll tell you, I know this full well because I experience it. As I preach sermons that I need to hear. Did you know that? As a pastor, I am aware that a large part of my narrative, for whatever reason, growing up, is the more you achieve, the more you do, the busier you are, the better person you are. Not laying particular blame on anybody for that narrative, but that's what little Matthew got. And so on a Wednesday when we have community groups, so I'm working from 8 a.m. until 8.30 at night, just I feel like a better person sometimes. 
And it's hard for me to take a day off and not do anything because I don't feel like I'm achieving anything. And you know the answer to that? To actually accept that I'm beloved. <laughs> like, I'm trying to go, if I, more hours, more work, more productivity, how much is it? Where, where am I on the scoreboard? And God is coming and saying, you're asking the wrong question. Like, these two things aren't even attached to each other. Instead, you're beloved and I delight in you. Now you can go about all of this work freely. What would that look like in your career? To not work for anybody else's approval, but to work as one knowing that you already have it. A new confidence and a new hope. And when you begin to live in that, then you also realize that you are sent. There's a new direction altogether. See, we identify our expectations, we respond to this invitation to receive that you are beloved, and then there's a new direction that results in it. Notice, the Holy Spirit joins Jesus, it says, as a dove. This echoes all the way back to the earliest pages of the Bible. When you open up Genesis, in the beginning, the world was a formless void, and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. In the beginning, the Spirit hovered to bring about creation, beauty out of chaos. And now the Spirit hovers for a second time over Jesus, showing new creation as God intends to transform humanity itself. So to enter into this story is to now you have a new vocation, a new calling, a new identity to be an agent of this renewal wherever you go. Now, someone says, yeah, good job. I don't see it. I don't, neither do, I don't see it as fast as I want to see it either. And here's the great mystery, and one of the things I will ask God when I see God face to face because God says, I actually intend to do that through the body of Christ that is the church. That is individual followers of Jesus, but what happens collectively when they get together with two steps forward, one step back, getting misdirected, needing to get realigned, stumbling and bumbling through it all, but the spirit is at work and we are invited to participate in new creation. That's why we named the church Renew, so we wouldn't forget it. And so this sort of salvation, to be connected to Jesus, is nothing less than the forgiveness of your sins. It's a whole lot more. This is why we celebrate when friends come to faith and recognize that God loves them as much as God does and become Christians, we celebrate that. We'll have baptisms here in the next several months. This is also why we celebrate when a friend on the streets gets access to housing and we rally around that person to support them, to encourage them. This is why we work for peace on both sides of the U.S.-Mexico border as we care for migrants and asylum seekers and support the ministries that are doing that. This is why in the coming weeks we're going to explore partnership with Make Cafe right out here in the community garden that helps refugees and people who have newly arrived to our country understand how 
food service works, and farm-to-table hospitality. This is why we seek to empower you in a thousand ways to be an agent of this kind of peace wherever you go this week. As I look at your eyes right now, I know the reality is you will come in contact with people that will never want to meet with a pastor. Will probably never come to Renew Church. But you get to be the agent of peace, renewal, justice, and belovedness to that person. And as you do, they're transformed. As we do it many times together collectively, our city is renewed. But all along, you are being developed more and more into the person God created you to be. This is the great invitation. Let's pray. Gracious God, we pray now that you would help us, who have, those who have been baptized, to renew our baptismal identity and to walk in it. For those of us who are asking questions about what it would mean to actually believe these things, to trust you, to follow you, would you do what only you can do and break through? Convince us that this is actually for us. Give us courage to respond and bring us to new life. We pray these things in your name. Amen.